Well, good evening. Everybody had a good week so far? If you haven't, raise your hand. If you haven't had a good week. Well, okay then. Not that we were going to do anything about that, but... <clears throat> so, um, so next Wednesday night, next Wednesday night, I will not be speaking. We won't be having worship. Um, I won't be speaking. We're going to have Representative Stephanie Luck here. <clears throat> she is State Representative, House District 47. And, um, and like I said, she is the one who was primarily responsible for me considering uh, running for state rep. So, um, so she's going to be here and she's going to talk to us about some of the stuff that is that spiritually, the direction that our state has been going spiritually and how that is done through legislation and how um, just, you know, we, we don't process it. Do you realize that there was 600-something um, laws that were, in, that were voted in last year in Colorado? Who needs that many? That's one year. Okay, I have a whole breakdown of all the taxes that were added and all this kind of stuff. Um, some of these laws are ambiguous. Some, you know, they all have purpose and direction and intent. But some of these are very intentional, spiritually um, changing the state laws, and they are not—they're not—they're um, not bills brought up because of uh, some fiscal need or something. These are direct spiritual things uh, that are going on, and so. Uh, Representative Luck is going to walk us through some of this stuff and help us to see um, the spiritual side. She's a wonderful Christian woman and, and, a, and a powerful uh, state representative. And so join us next week. Um, it's, it's going to be, like I said, she's going to have the whole service. And, uh, we wanna, and then she's going to have question and answer time at the end. So that, I think that would be beneficial, too, to see uh, kind of spiritually what's going on and how it's going on, too. So... <clears throat> So we're talking about witnessing, and how we do that, and we're going we're gonna to give a little more practical stuff uh, tonight with this, but um, I want us to go to uh, Mark chapter 6, and um, <clears throat> excuse me, there is something really wrong with my throat, um, and this was, um, this was some of what I talked about. This is a scripture that I talked about. Sunday, but I want to I want to expand a little bit and kind of process this with us. Uh, this is when this is when Jesus. This is the second part of the second set of scriptures I use Sunday. And this is when Jesus steps out of the boat. Remember, he's trying to get away from the people, and he steps out of the boat to get away from the people. But they've followed him all across uh, the Sea of Galilee. They've run around the side of it. So when he gets to the shore, they're all standing there like, "Hi, ah, you didn't lose us." And so um, it says, but Many people, this is verse 33, Mark chapter 6, but many people recognized them and saw them leaving. And people from many towns ran ahead along the shore and got there ahead of them. <clears throat> Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And that's what I focused on Sunday is the sheep without a shepherd and what that looks like. But I want us to look at the next sentence. So he began teaching them many things. So... So when Jesus sees all these people, the, the other scripture that I read Sunday morning was that when he saw them, he saw them as confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. When he sees all these people that are, <clears throat> that are um, 
confused and helpless without a shepherd, like sheep just wandering. He has compassion on them, but then what is his response? He begins to teach them. And, the, and, and this is something that we seem to be getting farther away from in the church right now in, in America is we think when we see people that are hurting or, you know, this sheep without a shepherd kind of mentality, this confused and helpless, this is a growing thing. In fact, you can go to conferences right now as, as, as church leaders. We, we, these things come across our, our emails and desks all the time is you can go to conferences right now that will teach you how to. This is not the way they say it, but this is basically what they're saying. I've been to so many of these I can't even count them. <clears throat> Thank you, Rick. That is one good executive pastor right there. So um, when, when, we, when we see these confused and helpless sheep without a shepherd people, the church says we should just kind of don't do anything to offend anybody. Don't do anything to, to um, upset their apple cart. Don't, don't irritate them. Don't do any of this stuff. Not this week coming up, but the following week. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak about this. Uh, not really exactly this, but from a different perspective of this, this idea that we're all supposed to just get along. That's not a biblical concept. In, in fact, Jesus himself said, I didn't come to bring peace. Right? We know he came to bring peace internally within us, but he didn't come to make sure that everybody on the planet all thought and spoke monolithically. But that seems to be the push nowadays is when you come across somebody that's really struggling or hurting or they've got big issues or deep sin in their life or something else, the best thing to do is don't talk about any of that stuff and just say a lot of, Nice, flowery things. You know, Jesus, Jesus just loves you. He just loves you just the way you are. Those things aren't wrong, right? They're not false. But the problem is, Jesus loves you just the way you are and stop there. They still are in their issues. They still have the, the brokenness. They still have the pain. They still have the stuff. And we are taught nowadays not to say anything because we don't want to upset anybody or offend somebody. This is a dangerous thing. This is, this is one of the reasons that statistically the church gets smaller every year in America. It doesn't get bigger. Because we've lost the, the purpose of the church. The purpose of the church is not to get people in the building. It's not to get more money in the offering. It's so that lives can be changed by the truth and the amazingness of Jesus Christ and his gospel. That you need to be forgiven. Well, why do you need to be forgiven? Because you're a sinner. Sinners need to be forgiven. That's what the scripture I read Sunday, that Jesus didn't come for the people that are well. He came for the sick. He's a doctor that came for the sick. The saddest part about the church in America is, is a lot of the people that think they are well are the sickest because they don't think they're sick. That's the worst place to be is you think everything's good, but it's not. And so what did Jesus begin to do? He began to teach them. So what are some potential things that Jesus began to teach them? Because we, we know some of it. I mean, we know a lot of it. Jesus tells us these things throughout the Scripture. He doesn't say it exactly right here. But what are the, some of the things that we know that Jesus was teaching them? And don't, don't make it um, ambiguous. Give me an example 
like from a parable or a story or something specific. You don't have to tell the address if you don't know it, but, but what is the actual meat of it? <clears throat> In other words, don't just say, well, he told him he loved him. Yeah, okay. But let's go a little bit deeper than that. All right? What are some of the things that Jesus would have been teaching people? Okay. I like that. Do what you're called to do. And he said that many different ways in Scripture, right? He, he said that, um, well, when Nicodemus comes to him, he's basically explained to Nicodemus what his role as a spiritual leader is. But he doesn't say, Nicodemus, this is your job as a spiritual leader. He explains this out so that Nicodemus arrives at the conclusion. What's something else he would have potentially been teaching? <clears throat> Remember when you're going to say something, let Alex come to you so people at home can hear you. Uh, every week I get that. Well, not every week. Most weeks I get. I couldn't hear anybody's um, statements. And so first, make sure you say the microphone. Second, you guys that are listening at home, come to church. <laughs> What's something else Jesus would have been teaching? What are some of the things that Jesus taught um, the woman caught in adultery? She was lost, confused, helpless, sheep without a shepherd. What is something that Jesus taught her and the people around? <clears throat> are, you guys, are you guys good tonight? Everything okay? Paul? He taught her that everyone sins. And he taught them that they're all sinners too. Okay. And then what's the last piece of that? Everybody sins. They're sinners. What's the last part of that? The last thing he says to her. Don't keep sinning. This is one of the things that seems to be missing in the church today. And we're hurting people by not telling them this. Stop sinning. It's destroying you. It's destroying everybody around you. Stop sinning. Allison. Also, from that story, we see that she was worth his time as well. That everybody. She get, he gives value. Every single person from children, anybody. The woman at the well. He, he brought the realization that she has value to God. And she was a broken person, right? One of Jesus' closest followers was a prostitute. And she sees the grace and the love and the amazingness of Jesus and she turns her away from her prostitution, not because Jesus um, attacked her with that, but because he stood up against that sin mentality and he did it through love. Jesus' love doesn't mean that, that we embrace sin. Okay? <clears throat> so we've got to keep that in balance when we're trying to talk to somebody. And again, uh, let's see, it's three, three uh, weeks from now, three Sundays from now, or four, well, something like that. Uh, we're going to be showing you the, um, the Encounter app. Uh, you can actually download it right now if you want. It's called Encounter Outreach. But we're going to be using this as a church. And, um, and basically what we're going to be doing is we're going to be targeting just the houses right around our house. Beside us on each side and across the road, four houses. And the app helps you do that. And, of course, you, if you're crazy, uh, fanatic, you can even work on the ones behind you. But uh, our goal is this. We want to, first, we've got to start praying for people. 
We've got to start praying for people. If you're not praying for your next-door neighbor, it's, it's very difficult to actually start witnessing to them. And I know some of the names of some of my neighbors, um, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to take the app, and I'm going to go to their door and knock on the door and say, I want to start praying for you and your family. Can you give me all the names in your family, if you don't mind? Can you give me all the names and just ask them? And if they say no, that's okay. I can still pray for them. Right? They can't make me not pray, but, but most of your neighbors are not going to say something like that, right? So then in my little notes section, I'm going to make sure I have all their notes, their names down, and then if they have something specific, um, tell me what the prayer request is. Tell me what that is. And then, and then I begin to pray for my neighbors. And then eventually, you're going to have the, the compassion in your heart, the, the connected moment, and you're going to begin to engage your neighbor at a, at a deeper level. And, uh, and the goal is eventually you witness to them. Just think about this. Guys, if we could do that with just the four houses around us, everybody in our church, think how many people potentially get saved from that. Some of them may go to church here, some may not. That's not the point. You understand that. The point is that they know Jesus. Maybe you ought to start a little Bible study right there in your house or a little, you know, get together, something. The reason I'm adding these two things together, and we're going to go over some witnessing stuff here, but the reason, the reason I'm adding these two things together is because as a Christian, you are life and you are light. Scripture says you have the power of God by which people can be saved. Okay? Don't shy away from dealing with the more difficult subjects when it comes up from your neighbor. Don't shy away from it. I've told the story a few different times about some of the times I've been invited to speak to the LGBT community. I don't shy away from the fact that my Bible says this is sin. And people say, well, it doesn't say, well, let's start in Romans 1 because that's a big one. It really parses it pretty, pretty strongly in Romans 1. We're not trying to shy away from that stuff. I believe that that mentality and that lifestyle is death and that Satan is using that to destroy people, destroy children, all kinds of stuff. If I really believe that, why would I not ever approach that? Now, that's not like your opening gambit. Uh, one of my neighbors, she moved within a year or two after we were there. Um, she was gay, and, and her, her friend would come live with her for a few months at a time. And I never, I never attacked any of that. We just talked to her and interacted with her and... Um, gave her stuff sometimes, and I mean that's not your. It's not like a lance. And you're on a horse. You're gay. You know, that doesn't accomplish anything unless you're consistent with everybody, all of your neighbors, right? The one across the road. I saw you lie the other day. You know, be be consistent. If you're going to be a jerk, be consistent with everybody. But but we're trying to make sure that they know we care about them. Let's pray for them. Let's try to talk to them. But if they bring up the hard questions, well, what about this or what about this? Answer the questions. Don't shy away from it. Don't, don't, don't try to get around it. You're not helping anybody. You're not helping them. You're not helping um, the Holy Spirit that's trying to work through you right then. You're not, you're not doing anybody any good. Okay? So <clears throat> let's go to Romans chapter 12. And uh, I, I read this scripture a, a few months ago, and I really, it, it, I, I really just... It just sticks in my head. It just constantly sticks in my head. Like when I'm, okay, so this is like um, transparency on my part. One of the things I struggle with 
is now I tell you about the times when I witness to people and I pray for people and I interact and all that kind of stuff um, because I want to use those as examples. You realize that most of the time I'm not doing that stuff. I should be, but I'm not doing that stuff. Um, I don't sit and tell you all the times I don't because that's a lot of stuff. That's a lot of times. But what I catch myself doing is I'll go... I've built certain times when I go and sit at a coffee shop and I do some studying there. Specifically, I mentioned this last week or the week before, some specifically not to be in the office because if I'm in the office, um, people need my attention. And Kate can't do anything with it without my say so. So, um, but so I section times when I'm not in my office and I'm somewhere that I'm I'm not around um, needy people. So. So in the process of that, I catch myself going through the motions of interacting with people. I'm not actually, I'm not actually interacting. Saying hello to somebody is not interacting, okay? Right? When two people, you know, you're walking in the door, they're walking out, and they say, how you doing? You say, how you doing? That's not interaction. Both of you asked a question. Nobody answered it, right? So, so I'm, I try to be intentional about this. I try to be intentional, and, that's, and most of the time, I kind of catch myself and wake up. I'll give you an example that, that, that to me this gets this scripture I'm about to read. I was sitting in an airport. This was, this was 15 years ago. I was sitting in an airport and I was headed to one of my last classes for my, um, for my doctorate. And the, and the class that I was taking was Pentecostal leadership. Okay? How to be spirit-filled leader. Now, what is the basic concept of being spirit-filled? Acts 1.8, you'll receive power to be my witnesses, okay? So I had to write a paper ahead of time, and I've got this paper together, and basically I'm addressing the fact that for us to deal with spiritual leadership, um, personal evangelism, witnessing, compassion for the lost, caring for the lost, all this stuff has got to be a major component because it wasn't really included in the class. I didn't ever see that anywhere. And when we got to class, nobody ever talked about it. We're talking about Pentecostal leadership, but nobody ever brought up witnessing. There's a major theological problem there, but that that is the plague that is attacking the Pentecostal church right now. It's we all about what we think Pentecostalism is, but not what the Bible says it is. And so I've studied this, I've got my paper, I'm doing all this, and I'm reading my, my book, my last few stuff, and this lady sits down beside me, and uh, we're about to get on the airplane, people are crowding in, you know, all this kind of stuff, she sits down beside me, and, um, and it's one of those things where you can tell they want to talk to you, right? Well, okay, so you guys know my personality, I don't want her to talk to me. We're in an airport, right? We're, we're not family. Why are you doing so? So I, I'm processing through this. She's just antsy. Finally, she literally tugs on my shirt and said, "You know what? I just finished a conference up in um, Aspen." And she said, um, "She said this is pretty cool stuff." She said, "This is what we're talking about." And she starts going on to this medical stuff. It was a medical conference about the, the, the elements of the very tiniest of microbiology. And how that's interacting in the medic- medical field. So then you're dealing with things like cellular development. On the cellular level, DNA, all this other kind of stuff. She's excited. And she starts talking about this particular 
medical thing, and I'm not really sure what it was, but somehow this medical thing that as you're going down through DNA to the very basic cellular level, that the more and more we're studying this, that it is showing us that something had to have put this together. And she said, I know people say things like God and stuff like that, but I don't even know if, I don't even know if there's a God or anything like that, but somebody did this stuff. I'm, I'm literally sitting there with my book studying Pentecostal leadership, and my focus is it should be about witnessing. And I literally, I didn't, now this seems obvious to you, but it didn't seem obvious to me at the time. I'm sitting there, and in my head, I'm like, I didn't say it out loud. I'm like, shut up. I have a class tomorrow about Pentecostal leadership. And so I kind of do this thing. She's an atheist that just said to me, she thinks there's an intelligent designer, but she doesn't know what to do with that. She sat down beside me and said that. You guys have heard enough sermons me preach. I know stuff about that that most preachers never, ever deal with. I study that stuff incessantly. And my, my reaction was, leave me alone. I am trying to study how to witness to people. <laughs> Three or four times she makes this statement until finally, this is the way it felt to me. Finally, it's like the Holy Spirit grabbing me by the hair and said, Scott, look at her. I was like, oh, yeah, this would be a good moment and a good opportunity, right? <laughs> And so then I finally began to talk to her about all this and, and, um, and, and talking to her about this intelligent designer. Who could that possibly be? Five or six minutes. Now, that, now they're calling for the flight. I'm like, you missed like 15 minutes, you idiot. Guys, it, it, is, it is difficult for us sometimes to really think about and process people. And to really think about their lives and their souls. That, that's where our challenge is. Taking our, our, our view off of ourself, our eyes off of ourself long enough to not just try to win a convert, that's not our goal, but to engage somebody with the amazingness of Jesus. He's pretty big. He loves them. And I know without a doubt, the Holy Spirit brought her to sit beside me. And the whole time, he's like, oh, I should have sat, him, sat her beside somebody else. You're doing horrible. All right, look at this. Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. As we know, that's our, our issue, right? Don't just pretend to love people. What about your neighbor? Most of, here, of us in here have houses very close to us. Some of you live out farther and you have land. Most of us have houses that are pretty close. Don't just pretend to love those people. Don't just smile and wave when you... But, but actually try to figure out how to engage them. How to care what's going on. What's going on with their family. What's going on with their... their we, we were on a walk, was it last night or the night before? I don't remember. But we were walking around our neighborhood and, and, um, and there's a house about a block over and a block up. It's got a wheelchair ramp that comes out and then curves and comes back so it comes to the driveway and comes out most of the yard, that kind of thing. And they put that in about six or seven years ago, and, 
every time I see that, every time I drive by, my heart moves for that household. I don't know who's in that house. I've never, like, knocked on the door or anything. But I know somebody is struggling with something in there. If they've got a wheelchair ramp like that, they probably had to widen doors and stuff in their house for wheelchairs. They probably have to have all this other other accessibility. And that means somebody's got to be taking care of them and helping them and doing a lot of other stuff. And that's just the stuff that I can gather from looking at a wheelchair ramp. Think how much other stuff potentially is going on with that family. Don't just pretend to love people. Really love them. And then he adds this as part of this context. Don't just pretend to love others. Um, really love them. Hate what is wrong. As that's true love. Jesus Christ loved the sinner so much that he died so they wouldn't be a sinner. So that they could be made right with God. They're still going to be a sinner, but they're going to now be covered with the blood of Jesus and made right with God the Father. And he loved them so much that he gave himself to them. So loving from Jesus' perspective is not just passing over the, the stuff, the problems, the sin and everything, but loving them in that so that they can see the grace and the, and the mercy of Jesus Christ. That's, that's, that's the, the same That's the same. A thought process from Jesus' point of view. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. And then you, because you're going to be the example, hold tightly to what is good. Because part of witnessing is being consistent with yourself. There's, there's a bunch of statistics over the years that I've read about this. But some of the basic things, when your neighbors are paying attention to you, one of the basic things that happens is they're watching what your life really looks like, right? Specifically, if you say something like, um, I'm a Christian or I'm going to pray for you or whatever, now they're watching you. They're paying attention because they want to see who you are in relationship to what you say. And every one of us here know the difference in the two, right? When somebody says something, but that's not who they are, so they're going to be watching you. They're going to be processing how you're acting, what you're doing. One of the things that I've seen statistically over the years is your neighbors pay attention when you go to church. Did you know that? When you, when you leave every Sunday morning. Now, sometimes um, people use that time to break into your house and rob you blind. I personally know that. But, but don't let that bother you, okay? You just, just put that out of your head. Um, your neighbors pay attention when you're gone to church. They do. That doesn't mean they believe in it or think you're cool because of that. Or they may think you're a complete goof. Oh, they go to church. I've had so many people over the years tell me, well, I don't need church. and I don't need Christianity. It's a crutch. It's all that kind of stuff. Now, okay, I, let people say whatever they want. I, if you want to call um, Christianity or Jesus, I don't really even like the way we use the term Christianity sometimes. But if you want to call me serving Jesus a crutch, then give me two crutches. Give me a walker. Give me a wheelchair. Give me whatever I need because I cannot and do not want to do life without Jesus. Okay? But they may not um, understand or even respect or whatever, but they do notice. And there's a commitment value there that they're paying attention to. Um, how you interact with them. How you interact with all the details that go around uh, their life. My, one of my neighbors started parking their car right in front of my house and did that for a few months. I never understood why because there wasn't anything in front of their house. 
And I, and I still don't know why, but I wondered to myself, because we, you, if, you, if you've ever done anything that we do at my house, there's always people at our house. We're always doing small groups, you know, the journey, the grillers, all kinds of stuff. So there's always cars around. I'm wondering if they did that to see if I would be irritated because their car was parked in front of my house when other people needed to park there. I don't know that. I'm, I'm literally just making that up. I don't know. But I did wonder that. Would, I, I literally thought to myself, I should just go out and wash their car. But if I did that, somehow like a fender would fall off or something, right? So I didn't do that. But, you know, things like that, where, where are, are people paying attention? They are. They're looking at you. What are some things you can do? Just look, think about little things. How can you engage? Why? Because we're not pretending to love. We really love. We really truly care about these people. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. I, I'm pretty sure I've said this over the years, but my wife has said that to my children. Um, she doesn't use the word honor. She uses the word prefer. She, she said that to our children for years, all their life growing up. Prefer one another. I don't think any of my three children ever heard her say it. But prefer one another. Prefer one another. Put somebody else first. Just, just try that. Try that. Um, do, this, do this for an entire day. With, with Pick somebody in your family. I did this the other day with my wife. I told her all day long, I'm going to, um, how did I say it? Yeah, I'm going to be nice all day long, which is not like me. That's not really who I am. I'm not going to be sarcastic. And um, now it did come out sarcastic most of the time I was being patronizing. But try that without my problems, okay? Take my uh, shortcomings off the table and just try this. I'm going I'm to be nice. Try, try this with somebody at work. Years ago, years, years ago, this is 25 years ago, I was a youth pastor, and I heard this teaching from from uh, John Maxwell, and uh, he's, he called it the 101% principle, and he said, when you have a problem with somebody, spend 100% of your time and energy focusing on one thing about them you can tolerate or that you like. This is somebody that, well, there was, a, there was a family in our church, and they had two kids in our youth group, and this family in our church just drove me crazy. For just all, everything about them was the opposite of me. All the things they did I thought were goofy, all this other kind of stuff. And I'm hearing this, and I, and I was on the way to their house to eat dinner with them because they invited Lynn and I over. And I'm, I'm dreading this. I don't even like these people when I'm going to youth house. And I hear this on a cassette tape on the way over there. Maxwell talking about take 100% of your energy and focus on one thing you can like about them or tolerate about them. And I thought, okay, it, it was convicting me. I needed to do something. And, and so I began to do that. A few years later, when we resigned um, as youth pastors from that church and were headed to the next stage of what God had for us and stuff, when I went into the board and, and resigned to the board, the pastor, pastor already knew and he wanted me to come into the board, and I resigned to the board. It was already emotional. It was already difficult. When I got to him and I tried to resign, well, I resigned to everybody, but then everybody gets up and they're shaking my hand and hugging my neck and all this kind of stuff. We're going to miss you. When I got to him, I couldn't stand it. I broke so much because he had become so close to me. He, it, God had changed. God didn't change him. He was exactly the same. God changed me. 
Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Really love them. Okay, a few things that I want us to look at. Okay. Um, this is really helping, this cough drop, by the way. <clears throat> um, here, here's some things to do. When you're, when you're engaging with somebody, you're talking with somebody, you're praying with somebody, your neighbor, you're, you're just going over, you're talking over the fence. Um, that's one of the ways, with one of my neighbors specifically, I, I talk to him over the fence a lot. And um, here's some things to do. These are some basics I've learned over the years when it comes to trying to witness to somebody. Be praying in your mind. Asking God, God, give me wisdom. Give me the right words. Show me something. Um, let, me, let me hear their heart, not just their words. You know, you can pray a bunch of stuff with that. Get, get me in the right mindset, Lord God. Give, my, give me a compassion for them right now. Whatever, however you need to go, just be, just be praying in your head while you're engaging with them. Okay, you're standing out in the front yard or whatever. You're praying for them. And, you, and again, this app we're going to show you in a few weeks, it will help you with praying for them and engaging them. You'll see when we get to that. But, but so now you're praying, okay? When you're sitting at work with um, a coworker or something, they're across the desk or however, be praying for them in your mind. That's one of the things to always be doing because it sets up some other things. It allows the Holy Spirit. And if, and if you're processing this properly, be praying in the Spirit, like 1 Corinthians 14 talks about, okay? And then you're listening to the Holy Spirit, what is he saying? How is he, what, what is he telling you? If they have specifically um, opened up and shared something with you, you should be praying about that too. And then listen to the Holy Spirit because he's going to help you. He's going to give you some direction. He's gonna, maybe going to give you some words to say. He's going to do something, but you're listening to the Holy Spirit. Okay? The next thing is truly listen to them. You should, you should just do this sometime as kind of an exercise when you're processing relationships and stuff like that, uh, specifically work relationships. I have found over the years that uh, most of us, we listen to others, and what we're listening for is a break in the conversation so we can tell them what we need to tell them. You ever notice that? We're listening for our opening. We're not necessarily listening to what they're saying. We're not listening to their heart. We're not listening to what's going on. We're waiting for the moment when we can interject something. Uh, years ago, I, I caught myself doing this and counseling with people. And, uh, and, and I'd heard somebody talk about this or something, and it really started to get in my head. So I started being very intentional when I'm trying to counsel somebody, not like pre-married counseling, because I don't want to hear from them during pre-married counseling. But um, that's pretty much me just talking, right? But in, in regular counseling, really learning to listen to people. It took me a while to, do, to really learn that. Learn to listen. Learn to listen to their words, but their body language also, and then at the same time, listening to the Holy Spirit. And really letting that um, be the foundation of what's going on. Not just so you can say something. Well, it's important when it comes to uh, when you're trying to engage somebody and really help them with who Jesus Christ is, really listen. Listen to what they're not saying between the lines kind of thing. Be careful that you don't start 
um, formulating a plan to fix the problems in their life. You've heard me even talking about this, uh, talk about this when it comes to marriage and things like this. Uh, one of the problems that men struggle with in the context of marriage is when the wife is talking about stuff, they hear in their head, um, this is what I need you to fix, right? Why don't you, ladies, I'm not asking you anything right now. I'm talking. But, but guys hear that. Now, he, now, I'm not saying that like women good, guys bad. That's not because this is how God designed men. They're listening and they're hearing the problem and they now have a solution. But the problem is, the real problem that is about to erupt is they did the, she didn't want a solution. She's sharing information. He's fixing her problems. She didn't even see those as problems. That's now an argument, right? It took me a long time uh, to, to get Linda out of that habit of thinking. So, <laughs> so here's the thing with this, is you can do the same thing when you're really trying to help somebody and engage with somebody that, that, you know, a neighbor or a coworker or something that needs, that really needs Jesus be careful that you don't start trying to come up with a plan to fix their life. What is the, what is the plan to fix their life ultimately? It's Jesus. It's not how you think life should be done. Okay? As I get older, there are certain things that I naturally start gravitating toward that I want to give advice about. Um, parenting is a big one. You know, when I see little kids acting like little devils and stuff like that. And I want to I shout out, but they don't like this in the grocery store. But I want to shout out, whip them. Spank their tiny little behinds. But here's the thing is, it's more important at that moment that I try to, to love them. And if I can engage them in conversation about something, maybe I can help them process something, whatever, and in bringing them hopefully to Jesus is more important than me illuminating the fact that they're ruining their children. So you understand what I'm saying? That's my issue. I don't have to have that conversation with them. Okay, We don't have to put our issues into their life. Their whole context may be so different than when you add your uh, wisdom, it may not actually work exactly the way you think it should in their context because their context is different. Everything about their context is different, right? I've had the same in reverse for, for me. Because, I mean, you guys that have been around here long enough to know, you know I pick on Linda. I've always done that. I pick on her. I'm not, I, I'm not disrespecting her. She knows that. I, she's, she's the everything in my life. I'm not going to try to hurt her. Um, I just pick on her. That's our dynamic. She, she likes it. <laughs> she's told me this so many times. Are you coming up here? Oh, okay, all right. Whew. I've heard her say, I'm done before, and that's not good after that. <laughs> no, you guys, she's going out to get a smoke. So... <laughs> I 
So listen to them. Really listen. You're not trying to just listen long enough to interject. You're listening. Listen to their life. Listen to the Holy Spirit, all these things. Okay? And then when you're interacting with them, start where they are. Not, don't start where you are. This is one of the easiest traps we fall into as Christians. We try to start where we are. And, and we do it like this. We, we say, well, you know, I was reading this scripture the other day, and it really took, it blessed me and did all this other kind of stuff. If that is what they're dealing with, then fine. But if you're listening to them and that is not what they're processing, then you don't need to preach the sermon I preached last week to them. You, you don't necessarily need to tell them all the stuff that you've been processing through your Bible study or whatever unless it is directly dealing with where they are. Start where they are. Jesus always met people where they were, and he talked about them and their life to them first. He did get around to who he was, but he started with them. He did that almost every single time. Even some of the scriptures I read last week about um, when the guys came up to him and he would say something to them about them about their existence and their, um, Nathaniel, you know, you have, uh, there's no guile within you, you're a humble person, those kind of things. Start where they are, all right? That, that's not always that easy to do because you've got to, um, you know, we, <clears throat> I think there's, I think this is part of a bigger problem, really. You know, we do this in, in, um, Christianity Facebook is, is wrought with this stuff. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying this is a mindset that has crept into the church for so many decades now, and it's gotten so bad that we're missing bigger picture stuff, is we have like our verse for the day, right? We even have apps that give us our verse for the day. I struggle with that because there's, there's so much more than just that sentence, that you're missing if you just cherry-pick a sentence out of Scripture and say, oh, this is my verse for the day. That's like taking a love letter from your spouse from 25 years ago and, and just reading one sentence, and this is my sentence for the day. There's, there, you're missing the whole thing. There's so much more of that, that that's not a part of it. But we don't want to just sit down and read and enjoy what God is doing. It's easier just to have somebody else pick out a scripture for us on an app. There's something wrong with that. I've, I've often wanted to do this. I want to come up with an app that does my verse for the day, but then just pick obscure scriptures. One of my favorite, Esau was a hairy man. Just let that be the scripture of the day. And then see if people put it on Facebook with nice pictures and meme stuff behind. Esau was a hairy man. And then when you bring up Facebook, mm, that's my scripture for the day too. Right? We miss so much when we do this kind of stuff. Well, then what happens is we're actually trying to talk to somebody about the Lord. We don't, we don't have as much to draw on as we should because sometimes... A cherry-picked verse for the day doesn't work for their whole existence. And you need more meat of the word that you've been chewing on that you're not necessarily going to pull one out, but you can, you can hand them some stuff that really can help them through, through, through whatever they're dealing with at that moment or help them see Jesus. So start 
where they are, whatever they're dealing with. Yes, that's a pretty rough childhood. Or, yeah, I can understand your marriage is struggling. And no matter what that is, wherever they are, you can bring them to Jesus. Be careful that you're not trying to bring them to your church. Okay? Now, if you're struggling with witnessing to somebody, inviting them to church is good. I'm not ever saying don't invite people to church. I, I've caught my wife saying this a lot lately. When she talks to somebody about coming to church, she said, yeah, you should try our church. You know what you should do? You should go online and, online and listen a few weeks first. Then come to church. And I was like, well, that's pretty. But she's doing that because she knows I can be confrontational. And she doesn't want the first time they're in church to be that moment. I'm like, why is he saying this stuff? You know, that kind of thing. Um, invite people to church. That's a good thing. But, but guys, I think sometimes that's a little bit of a cop-out that we're using because we're not, we're not actually ready to engage them where they are. Start where they are. Um, you don't, you're not, your goal is not to get them to church. Your goal is to help them see just something, see a glimpse of Jesus, see a See a little bit of his love, a little bit of his grace, a little bit of his mercy or something. Just something. And then let that, let that, the Holy Spirit roll that around in their mind and their spirit. Right? Somewhere down the line, invite them to church, do all that other stuff, invite them to your Bible study, all the stuff you're doing. Those are great things. Those are important things. They're necessary things. But I think if we're not careful, we use those as kind of um, um, as um, back doors so that we don't actually have to engage them personally. You know, when it starts getting difficult, we're like, oh, you should come to my church, right? I've had people just unload some stuff on me before. They didn't know I was a pastor, didn't know anything about it. But that you could tell the Holy Spirit kind of put it together, and I, hey, how are you doing, that kind of thing. And then just, well, those are God moments. It's easy to go, here's our church number, Right? Let me cut. I have had, you know, people, I say, sometimes people say, well, you should call my pastor. Okay, that's okay. All right? I get that. But, but you're still missing something. By the time they, if they actually do call me, that, that the moment's different. They're different. All this stuff. Engage them. Start where they are. Now, I have had a couple people over the years, and this is always interesting, get a phone call from somebody in the church. Hey, pastor, I've been witnessing to so-and-so. Yeah. I'm about this and this and this. Yeah, here they are. And hand the phone to them. I'm like, hello, you know, that kind of thing. That's a little odd, but, but I guess that's better than nothing. But here's the reality. Scripture says you have the power of God by which people can be saved. You know why you're a Christian right now. You know why you got saved. Start with that understanding and knowledge. Somewhere you realize that Jesus is God. Somewhere you realize that sin is destroying you. Somewhere you realize that Jesus loves you. That's, that God's plan for you is, is good. And it's, I mean, there's, you can go about ten things. You, somewhere in there you have two or three of those that you can tell them. You don't have to have advanced Bible degrees. In fact, most people with advanced Bible degrees never witness. Because they've got too much knowledge and not enough compassion. So, so engage them where they are. And then, remember, speak about Jesus. It's not about your church. It's not about 
your belief systems, we have a, you know, you always have, this is one of the things that I've seen, and this is getting stronger and stronger. And I do think it's important that we, that we do more preaching and teaching. And I've talked about this through our Daniel series we just finished. I do think there's an importance about teaching about end time events and eschatology. I think things are speeding up. Um, Scripturally, we can see things that are happening right now in scripture. But if they're struggling with their child won't go to sleep at night, I don't think we need to start talking to them about the book of Revelation. And that seems to be countercultural. Right? So, so be careful that you're not bringing out your particular um, direction and, and, and your uh, classes or your life groups or whatever. Talk, bring it back to Jesus. Jesus is their answer. It's not... It's not all the other stuff. It's not even church and Christianity and things like that in, in, the, in the normal definition of those. It's Jesus. Religion is not going to help them. Jesus will. Some form of Christianity uh, is not going to help them. It's Jesus. So they need Jesus. They need to see his, the, his grace and his mercy and also realize they need him because they're a sinner. Right, so keep speaking about Jesus. Keep trying to bring it back to Jesus. And here's, an, here's one of the things with that is teach yourself to be comfortable with those, with those words and sentences. Teach yourself. I, I have counseled people that have been married 25, 30 years that n- never pray together. And one of the things I do in counseling, they, if a couple comes to me, and, and specifically if they're, they're both Christians, I'll say, okay, well, let's start by praying. And, you know, they bow their heads and they wait for what? For me to pray. I'm like, and who? Since he's the man, he's the priest of the household, you start. And you're going to pray for her out loud. And then just wait. I'm telling you, it's amazing to me how many couples are so uncomfortable with that. Why? They don't pray together. They don't talk about things of God together. They're not engaging. Well, it's the same thing with, with when we're trying to talk to somebody about Jesus. If we're not ever talking about Jesus outside the, the Christianese and the comfortableness of Christian context... then it it makes it difficult to witness. We need to be comfortable talking about Jesus. And oftentimes we're just not. We don't ever do that. Try this. If you're you're a married couple and you guys don't pray regularly, before you go to sleep tonight, look over at your spouse and say, let's pray. If your wife, look at him and say, pray for me. Pastor said that's your responsibility. And they just wait. Pray for each other. Those kind of things do something in our spirit that eventually makes it easier for us to talk about Jesus to somebody we don't know. If you're not talking about Jesus to people you do know, how are you going to do that to people you don't know? All right, so keep bringing it back to Jesus. Teach yourself how to do that. Know why you got saved. I haven't done this in the last two or three years here, but where we take our, our testimony and have you email it to me and then I edit it, and I send it back to you. And when I say that, people are like, how can you edit my testimony? Because what your actual testimony is is very small compared to your life story. When, when you say, tell me, tell me 
why you got saved. Well, it all started when uh, mommy loved a daddy. No, we don't need to go back that far. Okay? Somewhere you came to a revelation. Yes, there may have been a lot of stuff, um, abuse, drug abuse, alcohol abuse. There may have been all kinds of difficulties in life and turmoil and everything. Okay. But that ultimately is not why you got saved. That led you to a point and was part of the backstory. But somewhere there came a moment when you realized Jesus was Lord and you needed to submit yourself to him. You can say that in two or three sentences. Well, but you don't know why because of all the... The why can be part of the story as you're witnessing to somebody because you find out there are similarities or whatever. But to tell somebody, I realize that Jesus is God and I needed him. You don't have to have all of the backstory for that. It, it'll come out maybe somewhere. But I knew that Jesus is God. And I was tired of doing life without him being in charge. Something simple, two or three sentences. You can literally fit your testimony into a small paragraph. Then there's more to it as you begin to do life together with this, this person you're trying to disciple. Right? So practice speaking about Jesus and know your testimony. Know, um, know why you got saved and how you got saved. Do you know how? So, so when I pray for us all on the weekends and I give us a prayer to repeat, right? One of the reasons that I do that and I do it so common, there's, one is, yes, people are getting saved and you're praying along with. You're getting saved. Part of the reason we do it all together is so that people feel comfortable with that um, if they've never prayed that before or whatever. But do you know one of the reasons that I do this, and this is a, a major reason actually, any ideas? Yeah, when you've prayed that a hundred times in church, when you actually get to that point with somebody else, and, and if you think about it, almost every time I pray it, it's very similar. It's almost identical because that will come to your mind. When, you, when you're nervous or you're really wondering, you finally jumped out there and said, can I pray with you? And then they said yes, and you have no idea what to do now. <laughs> Hopefully, that'll pop into your head, and you're like, oh, wait, this is how we pray at church. We're practicing. We're always practicing that. You didn't know that. I was tricking you into practicing. Right? People all the time say practice makes perfect, right? That is a very incorrect statement. Practice does not make perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect. The only thing practice does is make permanent. If it's wrong, practicing it, you're still going to do it, and it's still going to be permanent, but now it's wrong. All right, so be thinking about this. Be thinking about your testimony, who Jesus is, and, and learn to do that kind of stuff. And then actually get to the point where you ask them, can I pray with you? All right, that's the big jump right there. Can I pray with you? I've only had two people in 30-something years, I've only had two people say, no, you can't pray with me. One of them was a church person. So, any, any questions, any thoughts? Nothing?
Okay, I did ask this question last week, and um, we jumped straight into the witnessing stuff, but I want to throw this back out. we got a few minutes tonight. Um, is there anything, not about what I just said, because you just said you don't have any questions about that, but just questions in general. This is what, you know, I've been processing this. I've been reading this in the Bible, and I've been wondering about this, or somebody said this, or read this online, or whatever, and you really want to kind of process something. Um, from Scripture. I know I should do this more often, but here we are. Nothing? Are you guys good tonight? Everything okay? Everybody seems a little sleepy. Aaron? Were you covering your head or doing something else? Oh, nothing. You just said my name, so I thought I'd come up with something. So in Matthew 24 or somewhere around there, <coughs> the parable of the servant that hid his talents in the ground, um, and then the master called him a wicked and lazy servant. Um, I've been kind of thinking, like, what do you think, like, a lot of people say that the talents is money, but... I've just kind of been thinking about that scripture a lot lately. I don't know, like, does he actually mean talents or does he actually mean money? Or <coughs> is the master Jesus? Is the servant us? Um, okay, so there's a, few, there's a few times in scripture where that is talked about. Um, the word talent does mean money. It doesn't mean talents like the way we use the word talents. Okay. Um, there, the uh, the other two places that it's used, it actually focuses a little bit more on the, the financial investment side of this, okay? But because of the way the Greek works there, when we use the word talent, over time, what we have come to the conclusion of when we say talents is something that has been given to us or a gift or something that makes us unique the original Greek, even though it is talking about money, talent was a, a, a form of money or a, or a denomination of money. But it also, that word is the same word that we get the derivative for talent. That's why people can use the word talent the way we do and still be okay with Scripture with that because Jesus was talking bigger than money when he talked about it. Okay, So who is the master? The master is Jesus. Um, does he give us things that he is expecting us to do something with? Yes. And, and you can apply this directly to money too. Does he give us money and we're supposed to be accountable to him for money? The answer to that is yes. Uh, it's, it's interesting how in Christianity we separate things and we say, well, this stuff I'm going to give to God because we don't mind giving it to God. But then when it comes into another area of our life that we don't necessarily want to give to God, and sometimes for some people that's money. Not for everybody. Some people don't have a problem um, financially giving to God. It's not something they struggle with, but some people do. That's, that's one of their strongholds in their life. That's one of the ways that Satan is going to mess with them is financially. Some people are not susceptible to that, okay? Um, they're susceptible to something else, and they, and they, they hold back. One of the things that I've seen that people really um, uh, are irresponsible with when it comes to the kingdom of God is time. Time is a big one, and, and, and I hear people all the time say to me, 
or say to one of our leaders, well, I don't have time for, you know, something, whatever, I don't have time. Here's the reality of that. They do. They just don't want to spend it that way. But they have time. Well, we don't have uh, money to do this. Well, yeah, you do, but you just don't want to spend it that way. That, that's the truth, and that's not being judgmental. That's just being um, accurate. I have the same thing with me. I, I don't have time to do everything, but I do have time, and I spend it the way that I want. And I do have money, and I spend it the way that I want. Um, and when you go into the, to specifically the concept of talents, what God has given us, and that can be a, an array, an almost an endless array of things that God has done for us, given us, abilities or whatever, it's how we spend it. It's not whether we have gifts and abilities and talents, it's what we do with them. We all, every one of us in this room, there are things that are unique to us that are, that are pretty powerful and they're pretty special and they're, they're really amazing. And I, and I had the conversation with people regularly, there's nothing about me that's amazing. Yes, there is. There is. But, but, but you've got to figure that out, Okay. One of the ways you figure that out is what do you really enjoy doing? Those are oftentimes linked. They're not always, but they're oftentimes linked that that is what, you know, I, I've, I've, I've had some people over the years that, um, for example, they say, well, the thing I love to do most is to sing. And then you hear them sing and you realize God didn't give them that ability, but they really do it. Sometimes they're not linked. Now, God enjoys hearing them because that's worship to him, that kind of thing, but other people don't. And so... That there's, there's where they don't always link together, right? But oftentimes what we enjoy is how God has, has gifted us and wired us. But are we going to use it for God? That's the difference. And when you get to the end of each one of these parables where it talks about um, the money or the talents or whatever, when you get to the end of these, these are pretty severe what God does. Where he says he, he throws them into outer darkness. Yes. Um, I've always... This kind of like crossed my mind, but I always kind of interpreted it as God gave the first servant five opportunities to share the kingdom. God gave the, the second service three opportunities, and the one servant that he gave the one opportunity to share the kingdom, he decided he couldn't do it. He buried it because he was scared. Um, he was scared of it, so he just buried it, and then he decided to give it back to Jesus. And God was like, I told you to spread my word, and this is what you did. And you buried the treasure of the kingdom and you did nothing with it. I, I think that's a great extrapolation of that. I, I, the, the only like problem with the, with the example is that Jesus gives all of us lots of opportunities to share the gospel. But if you use it in the context of talents, he gives you the opportunity to, to share who he is specifically through how he's gifted you. And all of us have that opportunity. I've joked for years, now he's dead and I can't, it just not, doesn't work anymore. But I've said for years, I, I, was, I was hoping that, that um, Eddie Van Halen would get saved and come to my church. Because why not, right? Um, but, but here's the thing, because God gave Eddie that talent. He just didn't spend it properly. And, and when we take something so important as our lives and we don't, as Paul says, we don't pour this out as a gift, as a, as a um, love offering to God. We don't pour our lives out to him. He, he's pretty serious about this. 
Because he's given you things that make you unique. Two things we, that we've got to, to not do is um, assume there's nothing special about us. That is, a, that is a slap to God's face. You understand that, right? God made you. You're saying he made you, but he didn't make you different or unique or special. There's nothing about you that's beneficial. And God's saying, I, I actually do better than that. I made you wonderful and unique. So the first thing is don't, don't, um, don't uh, push down and, and, and um, dirty up the reality that Jesus did create you special. Okay? That's the first thing. Then the second thing is figure out how to, to, how to understand that better and more and then how to use it for God. God will use you. The only thing you have to do is take a little step, and he will open so many opportunities and doors and everything. But if the example that Aaron is using, if you bury that in the ground, it really angers God. That's, that's what the end of the story is, is, is to the point where you could argue literally that if you're not using your life the way God wants to use your talents or gifts or resources or whatever, that he throws you into outer darkness. That's the terminology for hell. That's pretty severe. Because why? He made you specific, intentional. He, he, he breathed his life into you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Let's not cheapen that by just living it for us. If God's given you the ability to do something, figure out how you can build his kingdom with that, not just benefit you. Now, benefiting you is not wrong along the way. In other words, making money or um, becoming important or famous or whatever. Okay, but use it for God and let him do the rest. Let him decide how wealthy you're going to be. Let him decide how important you're going to be or whatever. But you're using your gifts and talents for his kingdom every day in your workplace, in your community, in your family, everything. you're, You're building his kingdom first. And it's amazing what God can do with that. And think about just what he can do, just like in Colorado Springs. If, if the Christians in Colorado Springs, just as a group, said, I'm, I'm not going to live my life for me anymore, I'm going to live it for Jesus. Go to the same job, do the same work, do everything, but now I'm doing it for Jesus. Think about how Colorado Springs would change overnight. Right? We know this. It's just a matter of whether we do it. Okay. So, it's time to go. So how are we going to pray? What's, what's stern in your heart? How are we going to pray? That we pay attention to what God has for us and do it. Yeah. Um, Somewhere along the way, asking him to help us to figure that out. God, what do you have for me? What is that going to be? Zach? Taking the opportunities that he is presenting to us and not pushing them away or being too afraid to take them. So how are we going to pray about that? I mean, you guys are giving me great action statements, but how are we going to pray about these things? Help me do all that, yeah. Paul? Um, 
diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, and they're running down there to be with the family. And so we want to pray against that and that she be healed and God be glorified. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's pray. God, we lift this up to you. First, we, we lift up Sergio's mom to you. God, we know that you are the healer. Your word says that so many times. That's it. That's actually your name. So, God, help us to stand on that reality, that that is who you are. Reach into her body right now and heal her. Consume her with your healing process. Cover her with your blood, Lord Jesus. Give Sergio and Diana the ability to really um, speak into her life and to pray over her with faith and trusting and believing that you can supernaturally heal. God, we know that there, there are some good Christians in that family. And a, and a good church that they are part of down there. And so, God, bless them with your presence. Bless them with your healing power. Bring your peace into everybody's spirit. Um, peace into Sergio and Diana as, as uh, they're even processing this. Bring peace into Sergio's heart and his mind through this. And we commit all this to you. And, Lord, we do lift up ourselves to you right now that, Lord, we want to be who you want us to be. We want to be people that are compassionate about the lost. And we look for the chances. We look for the opportunities. Show us. Let, let, a, let an alarm go off in our spirit that says this is a moment. Pay attention. And God, we're going to do the best we can to love people, to truly love them and not just pretend. We're going to do the best we can to engage people with you. So we commit this to you. We commit ourselves to you. We commit our church to you. We want our church to be a place where people know you, Jesus. Not just about you, but where they know you. And that we're doing our part and taking responsibility for the gospel so that people will know you. We thank you for all of this. Bless us with your presence. Give us a, a, a great rest of our week and give us opportunities in the next few days to engage somebody with the truth of your gospel. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. You don't have to go home. You don't even have to get out of here, but I'm going to.